Welcome back to the Crash the Pond podcast. It is a Wednesday, March 8th, 7 p.m. edition of the podcast. This is probably the first time we've done a podcast in the last couple of years at this exact time. On a Wednesday at 7 p.m.? Probably. I, th- I think this is uncharted territory for us. We've, we've probably done one when we did post-gamers for a four, four o'clock game. So as we record this, the Ducks are actually about to play. So for the live audience, we'll we'll see what the live turnout will be like. But the majority of our audience does not watch live, listen live. They they, uh, listen after the fact. So this is for all you people. Um, And if people pop in here, then then great. And if they don't, that's fine, too. Yep. We've got we've got a lot to talk about today. We've got a ton. We've got a ton to talk about, actually. Massive show coming. And I do want to start with a couple of couple of housekeeping notes. Uh, Number one. Happy International Women's Day. I was wondering if you were going to go there, Mr. Uh, birthday or Mr. Uh, holiday person. So shout out to all the women out there, all the women that uh, support us, that all the, are all there the for women? us. Women. It's, I said yeah, it's women. A, you said, said woman. I meant women. I, I mean, it, it works either way. Yeah, either way. Um, yeah, and shout out to all of them. They, they deserve everything in the world. They're putting in all the hard work. Want to give an especially massive shout out to my wife uh, who puts in all the work every day with my son. Yes. So shout out to all the great women out there. Uh, we appreciate you. We need you. And hopefully you you celebrated the day accordingly. Um, another housekeeping note, and this isn't really housekeeping, but want to send warmest wishes, warmest thoughts to Mike Stothers. Yes. Who is dealing with a really t- difficult time. Uh, don't need to get into all the details, but Diagnosed with cancer, essentially a form of cancer, and he's going to be stepping away from the Anaheim Ducks for the for the foreseeable future. And just um, want just want to I, say, I, I think it said that he's going to try to work through it, but still thoughts go out to him in okay. this battle. Yeah, I mean that's really difficult, and we just want to send him all the best because that's you know anyone who's had a, a family member with cancer in their family, you, you know what goes into it. So wishing him the best. Okay. On that note, the trade deadline. Let's just yes. let's just let's just cut right to the chase. Uh, let's talk about the trade deadline. This happened last Friday, mm-hmm. and I'm kind of glad that we're doing this now because I feel like we've had some time to kind of let it digest, let the dust settle, and maybe more than anything else, Jake, just let the let the people kind of put the pitchforks and knives down. Let the let let cooler heads oh, prevail. I am so happy that we did not do a show on Friday night. Because I feel like I don't know how I would have been. I was down on Friday night, to be honest with you, with, with dealing with kind of some of the stuff that we were dealing with on Twitter that day from various different people. So I'm happy we've had some time before going on this, being able to really collect our thoughts. And I think another important thing that I think has worked out well for us kind of waiting on this is Pat Verbeek spoke. And he spoke to the Orange Alliance members. And big kudos to the Ducks. I feel like in the past they haven't always released the the quotes from this uh kind of exclusive uh, breakfast. I think they usually would call it like a pancake breakfast with Bob Murray. And the Ducks put out an article today with uh, with quotes from that that really dove into a lot of different things, both from the deadline, Verbeek's view of the team, and everything like that. So it gives us a decent amount of things to talk about on top of the deadline um, and how this team is kind of looking moving forward within the lens of Pat Verbeek and also Scott Niedermeyer, who's one of his right-hand men. Yeah, and, and you know, I... I want to quickly touch on this. This is maybe just for me more than for the audience, so I apologize in advance. But you touched on it with people 
have a very strong attachment to their team. Emotionally, sports is an emotional business. And when your team doesn't do what you want it to do, when you disagree on a certain issue, tempers can flare, emotions can rise. And I think we just have to keep into perspective that we're talking like, think think to the words of Ilya Brzgala. Like we're just talking about a game here. This is all entertainment. We can have opinions. But if if you're going to interact with someone on the internet, you know, just keep that in mind. Try to be, try to keep some level keep of respect. Civil. Keep keep some respect because to be, you know, I don't want to play the woe is me card, but I will. Cut, cut a lot of vitriol on Friday. And honestly, a lot of it, because I'm fully capable of handling, hey, disagreeing, you know, a, a difference of opinion. That's what we want. We want to discuss. And as long as it's done in, in a constructive manner, I'm all for it. But when you throw in, insults, personal stuff. Um, it's just, it makes you look bad and it makes your, and it, it makes your point lose whatever value it had because now I'm stuck on, I'm stuck on the, the, the attacks. So just putting that out there that it, it's just, we, I'd, I'd like to see people maybe do a better job with that. But me asking the internet comments to, <laughs> to, to be civil is probably uh, a much bigger issue that I don't think this is going to change, but just putting that out there. Yep. Yep. Com- completely agreed with you com- uh, on all of that. So, and want to give a shout out though. We have so, uh, sp- you spoke on the negative side of it. I also want to speak on the positive side of it. We yeah. had so many people that gave us fun interactions. And so I don't want to yep. specifically state that the negative outweighs the positive on this. Obviously the negative kind of sticks in your mind a little bit before we get into the discussion about all of this. But I, I do want to give a shout out to the people out there that spe- specifically in our discord, things like that that is what makes all of this fun and having those discussions and talking about kind of all these trades on the day of and figuring out the the values and things like that. That's part of the fun. And so I just want to make sure kind of we, we highlight that along with the, if we're going to focus on the negative a little bit also. Yeah. And, and for perspective, you know, Twitter is not the entire world. It's, it's not even the majority of the world. It's a small percentage of the world. And then the people that are negative are an even smaller percentage of that. Yep. But so the way that the way that the human brain works, you, you look to the negative. Yep. Okay. Let's, uh, let's talk about these trades. So before we talk about the trades, I want to ask you this going into the trade deadline, you know, you and I did a big preview last week, but what were your kind of realistic expectations? What were you thinking going into this? Um, okay. So I think coming into this, um, I think with Wednesday's night's game, with the fact that they had scratched both Kulikov and Klingberg for, and they had specifically stated for trade related reasons, that made it pretty clear that, that those two were getting dealt. Yep. There was no doubt about it. I think I still, and so I think that that was the expectation was those two were being dealt. I think Maybe I'm more of a pie-in-the-sky type of guy with certain things. And so I think I was also somewhat hopeful that we would still see an Adam Adam Henrique trade and probably a Kevin Shattenkirk trade. I think a John Gibson trade, while being possible, was still maybe 20%. I think my bold prediction last week was he was traded, but that was a bold prediction. It was specifically that. Mm -hmm. And I still put that at 20%. Um, So still more likely to not happen than to happen. And so I think from that perspective the guys that ended up getting dealt were kind of where the expectation was at with guys on top of that, from what we were hearing, everything like that being addition to that. Um, and more so being me and me being optimist, thinking that those might happen as for the returns. Um, 
I, I think that the returns for, for Kulikov, I was expecting probably a fourth round pick, a third or fourth, a third at best, a fourth round pick, probably something in that range um, with 50% retention. With Klingberg, I still thought that he could get a second or maybe even a first. And I will fully state, though, I was wrong, obviously, on the first round pick part of it um, in hindsight. But that, there were caveats there that a GM would look at that in a specific way and value what he did in prior years over what he did this year. And like I said, that was a very optimistic way of viewing it. And so I, I think from that perspective, I probably, if I had to set, settle on an expectation, I probably would have set a second round pick as what my expectation for John Klingberg would have been. Yeah, so my my expectations were, were lower. I had yeah. I put this out there and I said it. On the show, third round pick for both. That was kind of what I was thinking in that range. It, it That just felt realistic based on everything we had heard. Because although I disagree with the valuation of John Klingberg, we've been hearing the entire this entire trade deadline, what, what was the trade deadline about how Klingberg's stock had fallen, how his comparables were more in that third round range. So, Which that is was, fair. And definitely. That's, where, that's where my head was at. Yeah. L- looking, and, and, at looking at the Kulikov trade. Let's let's just dive in. Yep. So the Ducks trade Dmitry Kulikov to the Pittsburgh Penguins. They retained fifty percent on his salary, and in return they get Brock McGinn, who was in the AHL at the time, with a one point six million cap hit, and Pittsburgh's third round pick next season. This was so. For, I'll just I'll just jump out here and say that this was not the return I was expecting. That being said, I'm not I'm not down on this return. No, I'm not either. And and so I think when I first saw this, I think the the first thing that came out was Kulikov was getting 50% retained, Ducks were getting a third round pick and they were taking money back also. Or they're taking a contract back also. And so your brain first goes to, okay, it's just maybe a one-year deal to to make it work things like that. And the fact that the Ducks got a third round pick for Kulikov was insane value when I think what was it? Two years ago, he got a fourth round pick. Yeah. And so getting that, that was insane value. And so I think that kind of leads to the whole point of this, that they didn't just get a, a cap dump for this year. They got a guy in Brock McGinn who is signed for multiple seasons. He's signed for this year and two more seasons after this one at 2.75 mil has already been set, uh, sent to the ducks. And so I don't think that this trade can simply be valued as cool. Cov 50% retained for a third round pick and a cap dump because I think the Ducks valued Brock McGinn. And I think what we get caught up so much in with, with trades and things like that, and especially when you're dealing with with a trade like Kulikov, is you try to move guys out to make money work. And you assign bad you assign deals as being bad money deals only. And I think what we sometimes miss within that process is that there is value to a player along with that cap hit. And so if the Ducks were to look at Brock McGinn and say, okay, this guy has a certain amount of value. And I mean, also you and I have talked about this at, at the beginning of the season when we broke down the team, we were both optimistic about where this team could be. But one of the biggest issues for this team was the bottom six. Mm-hmm. That was one of the biggest flaws was the bottom six. And they have been one of the worst defensive teams in the analytics era of the NHL. Yeah. <laughs> and so they valued Brock McGinn as a solid enough bottom six player that is good defensively and is very good in his structure and as someone that is able to give them cheap bottom six, uh, a bottom, give them a relatively cheap bottom six forward for the next two seasons. And they valued that. And so 
I guess my question comes into play on this is how much of the third round pick comes from getting a uh, train to Misha Kulikov? How much of it comes from taking on Brock McGinn's contract? I think it's a little bit of in between on the both because on both, because I think the ducks also valued Brock McGinn throughout that process. And we're willing to take on a contract that maybe had him a bit overvalued with the term on it. The main critique I've seen is that the ducks basically got no value here for retaining salary. And that's not a crazy argument because if you look at it, Kulikov was was rated at probably a third round pick. Mm-hmm. They retained fifty percent. They get the third round pick, and you could argue that they have to take on money in addition to that. But and again, this goes back to what you were saying. Yes, uh, Brock McGinn has two years left at two point seven five million dollar cap hit per season, which is not nothing for. I mean, he's overpaid for what he is. Yeah, one hundred percent. That salary is not com- and like good for him. <laughs> I want to be overpaid. I want to. I want to make more than I'm worth. But he's a fourth liner. He he's Shout a, out Ron Hex- Ron Hextall. He's a he's a solid depth forward who, like you said, is sound defensively. Has a lot of structure to his game. Yeah, and and that has value to this team who has no cap issues as of right now and probably won't for the foreseeable future. This is not going to hamstring them. Also, Brock McGinn cleared waivers in March, or sorry, earlier in March, and he, in February, and he was in the minors at the time of this deal actually being executed. So I don't know how much of the Ducks taking on this contract actually is a negative value for them or is something that should get them more from Pittsburgh because he wasn't even counting against Pittsburgh's cap at the time the deal was made. He did. He was, but a very 1.75. No, he was in the minors. I know, but there's a buried cap hit because he's making more than right, a mil. Right, but the, the point is just that it's not like a pure, oh, you're getting us out of this deal that's completely hamstring us kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, I mean, it saves the it saves the Penguins about a million or 1.75 off their cap is where it's at because I think his buried hit was 1.75 or 1.25 and so, or something like that. And so the, the, the debate becomes, okay, with the retention, with taking McGinn's money, should that should that come out to a second round pick, right? That's that's I think what what is the the critique of this deal. I mean, the question comes down to how much was Kulikov's value? Were we overstating it by saying and a third that's round the thing. pick? Let's say that his value was at a fifth round pick. Yeah. Then okay, you have the fifth that goes up to a fourth with the retention, and then goes up to a third with taking on McGinn's money. So yeah. I, I think that. Setting all that aside, all that kind of jargon aside, I like this deal because they got a pick. In simple terms, they got a pick that I think is commensurate to Kulikov's value. And Brock McGinn isn't the player I would have targeted, but he's a player who's going to fill a role, who's not going to be prohibitive on the cap. And and th- that's kind of it. Like th- it, There's just not really a big kind of yeah. swooping hot take to have from this, from this deal. No, it's a fine trade. It's not a home run swing. It's not a great deal that's going to help set up this team. But the Ducks took a guy that they they got for future considerations and turned him into a bottom six winger and a third round pick. We'll we'll, we'll get into the the overarching strategy. But like it, it's not a sexy deal, but like it's one that you can't really I just find it really hard to criticize on the whole of it because at the end of the day, and this might get me criticism on Twitter because someone was really mad at me saying this, the market dictated the prices. And while we had said we thought we could get this or things like that, 
you can only get what people are offering, especially when it comes to UFA. You don't well, have, especially this market this year with like with the with the abundance of UFA defensemen. And I don't know. And some people might say, "Well, should he have gotten in earlier?" I don't know if going earlier would have gotten anything more than this. Like, I don't think there was more on the table earlier in the week. I don't think Kulikov and Klingberg, with where the market settled at, were these high-valued assets that pe- teams were well, going after significantly. Look at the defensemen who got good returns. Dmitry Kulikov and John Klingberg are not in those ballparks. No. Quality of player-wise. I mean, know, yeah. I, at least from a, a PR perspective with, with Gavrikov and the press that he was getting right. going into this. And it, so I, not in that category. Yeah, exactly. And so I Dimitri think we may, Orlov. <laughs> we, we, may, we may have had like high expectations or high hopes, and I'll, I'll word it that way because I did, and maybe that's my fault for peddling those out there on this podcast and putting those high hopes out there. But I'll fully admit I was wrong with kind of where I expected these deals to be at. And at the end of the day, getting any sort of return for these guys is fine because that sets the team up in the future. And I mean, at the end of the day here, here's the other point that I want to make on this Kulikov deal. The ducks very easily could have just gone out and signed a Brock McKinnon in the summer to the same, like this is the same exact deal that a fourth liner gets. Yes, maybe. I, I don't know. That's a little, that's a little much for a fourth liner to me. And now Jake is turning off his mic to, uh, gather himself i felt a cough coming right as i was making that point there you go like i just think that getting that the ducks needed bottom six help if they identified a player that they liked and were able to get him in the process along with getting a third round pick i think it's a fine trade it, it's like if you had to give it a grade what would you give it we we put our grades I think, in the sporting tribune but oh crap i think i gave it a c did i give it a c or a c plus something like I think, that did we both give this a b deal I think we did. No, I, I didn't give any Bs, I don't think. Let's see. I, I think we both gave it Bs. No, I don't think I gave a B. Maybe I'm just completely misremembering. We'll find out as we both are and frantically yeah. searching for it. And and Brandon Pineda putting in our, our chat here, you know, look at what Chikrin got. I don't know if that was completely a market setter just because... And he's saying that, like, the market was bearish, which I agree with, but I don't know. Like, Chikrin is just such a kind of his... That was just its own situation with the the salary constraints that the Coyotes were undergoing because of, of ownership and all of that. So it's really tough to it's really tough to say how that that played into it. But the point is nobody was paying top dollar for UFA defensemen. I gave it a B, you gave it a C plus. Okay. So I was correct. So that's how I feel about it. I mean, it's to me a C is okay, you did Maybe I would even downgrade it to a C, but you 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 got up to bat and you got on base. Like they they did something with this asset that was commensurate to the value. Maybe like I don't love the the McGinn addition, but he's a player who brings certain qualities to the table. You can the numbers bear it out. So I'm just not I'm not frazzled by this, and I think that it's it's just an overall boringly solid deal. Okay, this is, I think, the one, though, that really kind of broke the, what is it, broke the camel's back? <laughs> yeah. Uh, John Klingberg. So, my, I said my expectation was Klingberg would get a third-round pick. Instead, <laughs> he got Andre Schuster, the, uh, <laughs> what is this now, his third time in Anaheim? third time, yeah. He, he's getting his booster dose of Anaheim Ducks hockey. Um, and then Nikita Nistarenko, the signing rights to him. And then a fourth round pick from the Minnesota Wild in 2025. I think Wait, that 
Sorry, really quickly, I'm looking at Andre Schuster's uh, page on Cap Friendly. Yeah. <clears throat> I kind of forgot that he was on the Ducks last season. Oh, he was, yeah. No, I thought it was like two seasons ago. No, it was last season. Yeah, it was last season. 23 games. Yeah. Yeah, yeah show us how the time flies. When are, right, they gonna, when are they going to hang uh, whatever his number is? I don't know. Number three? I, I think, was it five? Uh, Might have been five. Yeah, okay. I think you're right. Okay. Yeah. Oh, isn't Andre Schuster like a photographer? Yeah. He, oh, there you go. Yeah. I'm sure I'm sure the guys are going to be thrilled to have him back. Okay. This is I gave this a C, I believe, in the in the grades. Can you pull that back up? Yeah, I've got it open still. So yeah, you gave it a C. Yeah, I gave this a C. And here is the rationale. And now I will have to draw a bit more on the higher level stuff. Yep. The Ducks acquired John Klingberg for cap space. They acquired him for $7 million cap, for a $7 million cap hit for this season. And out of that cap space, they got a pick and potentially a prospect who may end up doing something. And then Schuster, who's just kind of filler. Like that is a, that is a win with a lowercase W in the most boring sense. But in, in the sheer asset exchange, the ducks got something for a player who was on a one year deal. And yes, this is not what they wanted. This is on the lower end. This is absolutely on the lower end of what I think people envisioned John Klingberg fetching. But based on everything we heard, that he was that that his market is that his market had, had vanished or that his value had dropped, the season he's having and just being associated with this tire fire of a Ducks team, it like just the idea that he would get a first round pick or a second round pick or something exciting, to me was delusional. Right? It, it just didn't make sense. Now, I st- even with that said, though, I think that this return is a, a tier below what I expected. I expected a third-round pick. He didn't get that. All things considered, though, again, in, in the big picture, 10,000 feet, whatever the elevation is, 10,000 feet view, this is still a win in the sheer asset exchange. A player who's not coming back, you get something for him. And that's yep. it. Yep, yep, exactly. And, I mean, I want to just briefly mention on, on this side of it because you're, you're spot on. Like, John Klingberg, they they essentially traded a one year contract for fourth round pick and Nikita Nestorenko, and they took Schuster back as a, a warm body to be thrown on the roster. Um, but and they needed to sign that guy to be able to to get up above the cap floor. And some people could say, well, they could have taken on a bad money deal and things like that over summer. But in some ways, that's revisionist history, I think. And I think that that's one thing to make sure to point out that you look at what Pat Verbeek did in the summer. And he wasn't trying to build uh, what the Blackhawks are this season. He wasn't trying to build what the Coyotes are doing. He was trying to build a team that was going to be competitive. And he even states that in his um, in his quotes where he's basically saying this team has has done a lot worse than I expected. Well, and he, he said that at the beginning of the year. Like, this yeah. isn't this isn't anything new. No, he ex- he said in the beginning of the year he expected the team to be at least 500. And they were well below that. And so... I think that that's a bit of a revisionist history, missing kind of what he was trying to build. And if you want to be critical of he tried to build something and they've become awful, sure. That's something you can be critical of. But I think being critical of him going out and getting John Klingberg and then flipping him and just getting something back, I think that that's a little bit off base. And so on this deal, one thing that I do want to highlight um, um, is Nikita Nestorenko. Because I think everyone looks at this and I think the first thing that pops out to you is a fourth round pick, right? And, and that's the first thing that you see because it's an easy thing to assign value to and it's less than what you would have expected a third-round pick. 
And you see Nikita Nesterenko, and the first thing you do and go, is go and look at when he was drafted, things like that. And he was drafted in 2019 as a sixth-round pick. But I think that there could be some value there. And you specifically look at the way that Pavrbeek talks about him in the quotes. And granted, he's going to hype up a guy he just traded for. Like, yeah. I think that, that that's <laughs> definitely something worth mentioning. But he's basically saying we've watched him for multiple seasons. He's become hard on the puck. He's been able to score. And we saw today that actually Boston College was playing today, and he scored two goals. And he's a guy that might be a little bit of a late bloomer when it comes to <clears throat> to producing and is someone that has had a very nice season in his junior season. Granted, it's his draft plus three year, um, but he's had a very nice season in college hockey. And with his build, with his shot, with things like that, um, there is a chance that he could become an NHLer. Not saying he could be a, a high-end one, but if the Ducks could end up pulling an NHLer out of this deal, that's a win. Like he has 30, yeah, he has 34 points in 35 games right now for Boston College. 34 and 35? Yeah. Oh, okay. I guess this Elite Prospects is not updated. Um, I'm looking at Elite Prospects right now. Or Cap Friendly is not updated. It says 31 yeah. and 34. Uh, it probably well, includes tonight's game. So, so, yeah, he's probably, so he went off in his most recent game. Wow. Well, he had he had two goals and an assist in the game tonight. Oh, there you go. Okay. Yeah. And he had a, he has a really nice shot. And so, and Paverbeek stated on the, the Beaker episode that came out right away was that this is someone when when Boston College seasons is Boston College's season is done, which is whenever they lose their next game because they're in the I think it's the Hockey East Championship or tournament right now. Um, that uh, whenever he's done, Boston College isn't going to make the NCAA tournament. They've had a rough season. He's going to sign his ATO, which is going to allow him to play with the goals for the rest of the season. And then once the season is done, he'll sign his entry level contract over summer. He'll that be was, a duck. Yes, he'll like, be. It sounds like he's pretty duck. confident. The only other kind of piece of news out of that was that I don't know how much of this is worth mentioning, but some people were talking about the the Bill Guerin quote or the Michael Russo quote. I don't even he, want to talk about that. More or less, you, we I can think, talk about it, but I just think it's so. Irrelevant. It's yeah, it it like essentially, it, Bill Guerin went to the duck or Bill Guerin and the Ducks and Verbeek were negotiating about this deal. Um, it sounds like Guerin offered a fourth round pick. Verbeek said that's not enough said, and said, I'd rather keep him on my team. And then the last minute, Verbeek kind of went back to him and said, okay, we throw in Nestoranko also. And get, and Garen said, we didn't think we were going to sign him. So they threw him in. That's good for the Ducks. The Ducks were able to get additional value out of that deal. We're able to get more because if this was just a fourth round pick, it wouldn't have been great. And the Ducks got a guy that um, they supposedly valued and could become, like I said, maybe becomes an NHLer and may take a couple years, but um, yeah, I, I don't really think there's a lot to talk about because it's a negotiation. It's going back and forth. Yeah. And, and this is one side's account. Correct. That's also true. <laughs> this is Michael Russo, who has insight is a Minnesota wild beat writer has been that for years. So he has a whole lot of sources on that side of it. Doesn't necessarily have the duck side of it. No, he, he does not. And so all this to say that I completely sympathize with fans who are disappointed angry that you know these deals the returns are, are they are They're underwhelming like, like i said they are underwhelming there's no doubt that this is on the lower end of i think what we could have reasonably expected for these players even still even if you had lower lowered expectations like me i still think that they they got just a touch below that i i, I don't love again taking taking back mcginn but he's a player that that'll 
that actually makes them better in the next couple of years because of how bereft they are of offensive uh, offensive depth. So, and then on Klingberg, look, they get a guy in Nestorenko who potentially will be an NHLer. I'm not going to bet on it just because it's uh, it's a it's a long road for it, him. It's definitely a long road. Like it's not a long saying road. that's a guaranteed. No, but there and there is something there. There is something there, and they get a pick, and so. That's kind of all I have to say about these two trades. I don't know if we want to do our break now and then talk about because to me the big picture stuff, you know, what they did, what they didn't do, how we evaluate Verbeek overall. That's I think what's more compelling or what's more intriguing as of now. Now that the yeah. dust has settled on these trades. The only other thing to mention is I don't know if we talked about it on last week's show or not, but the Ducks moved Henry Thrun's yeah. signing rights to San Jose, and it sounds like. That was one of the teams that uh, I think we did. That yeah, that he would be opening to, open to signing with, and the Ducks got a third round pick for that, which was good value back. I mean, there's also a couple minor league deals. Dylan Sikora or Sikora is now in the the Duck system for Max Kolod, and I think Rocco Grimaldi was traded in an AHL deal as part of that. It's not listed because the, he was never the, signed. The goals to the Ducks. traded Rocco Grimaldi. Yeah. yeah, and then the Ducks also traded Austin Tran for Chase Prisky. And Chase Prisky, if I'm remembering correctly, was a college free agent that signed with, I think, Carolina way back when. Oh, Troy and, Terry. Yeah. And Makes the Ducks, it 1-0 Anaheim. The Ducks were, were, I think, one of the teams that were close on getting him. And then, for whatever reason, he chose Carolina as a college free agent instead of, uh, yeah, he signed with Colorado, a two-year deal, and then, I believe, became a uh, – they probably just – I think they did not uh, – I'm not quite sure what happened. Basically, it ended up in matter. Buffalo. He yeah. won't play. Maybe. He may get a game here down the stretch. Yeah. Yeah, but Troy Terry gets on the board. Yeah. 18th of the season. There it is. All right. I think it's time for a word from our sponsor. So this episode is brought to you by Green Chef. So Green Chef is a CCOF certified meal kit. Green Chef makes eating uh, well easy with plans to fit every lifestyle, whether you're keto, paleo, vegan, vegetarian, gluten-free, or just looking to eat more balanced meals. Green Chef offers a range of recipes to suit your preference. And so Green Chef has expanded their menu. Now you can choose from 30 plus recipes weekly with the option to mix and match meals from different dietary preferences uh, in the same box without changing your plan. I.e. you can order a vegan one one day and keto the next. And you can fill, uh, fill up with protein packed. Uh, their newest collection of recipes fit for a high-protein dietary preference. Choose from three weekly menu items, include each including 40 proteins uh, per servings on average. You can expect a variety of satisfying and flavorful recipes like Greek chicken salad with mint olive tapenade, enchilada spice turkey bowls, and almond-crusted barramudi. Um, and they have options for every lifestyle. So Green Chef is the number one meal kit for eating well with dinners that work for you, not the other way around. They have options uh, for keto, vegan, vegetarian, whether you want fast and fit, Mediterranean, and gluten-free. And as the only keto meal kit, uh, Green Chef makes sticking to a carb-conscious lifestyle easy. Um, and you can shake off winter with delicious, easy-to-follow recipes that support your healthy lifestyle and taste good too. Bring more flavor to your table this spring with Green Chef's wholesome elevated recipes featuring seasonal organic produce and unique farm fresh ingredients. You can make time for exciting new goals this spring with our convenient and nutritious recipes. Try fast and fit recipes under 750 calories and ready in less than 25 minutes. And they're also a very sustainable meal kit. 
Um, they're the only meal kit that is both carbon and plastic offset. They offset 100% of their carbon footprint as well as 100% of the plastics in every box. And 100% of their seafood meets the Monterey Bay Aquarium Seafood Watch rankings of certified best choice or good alternative. And with Green Chef, you're reducing your food waste by up to 38% versus grocery shopping. And so, I mean, I can tell you this. Green Chef is great. I love it. It's gotten to the point where they've been kind enough to send us plenty of meal kits over the uh, the time that they've been a sponsor of the show. But me and my wife like it so much that we go out of our way to order it on top of that. And it it's really, really fantastic. And I really can't uh, give, it, uh, give it enough kudos. They've had some great um, quesadillas, I think was one that I had recently that was like a chicken and uh, bell pepper quesadilla. So absolutely fantastic. So you can go to greenchef.com slash CTP60 and use code CTP60 and get 60% off plus free shipping. Once again, you can go to greenchef.com slash CTP60 and use code CTP60 to get 60% off plus free shipping. Um, And that's once again, Green Chef, the number one meal kit for eating well. Okay. So let's, uh, let's get into the rest of the show here. And just want to point out that Lucas Dostal just made a great breakaway save in this game that's going on as we're recording. Yep. Which uh, yep. which is interesting. Um, let's see here. Oh, yeah. Seeing some really good nicknames for Lucas Dostal in our chat right now. Dostwall. That's a pretty good one. I, I like, like Dosty the Snowman. Dosty the Snowman. I like it. It's just it's a lot of work to, to get that out. I don't, Dostimus I don't... Prime, I guess, is his own one. Like that's one. He has like an Optimus Prime logo on his mask. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about that, but it's so that one is just so over the top that I kind of love it. So I don't know. Anyway, um, let's get into the rest of of the discussion here. So I think that mm-hmm. now where the attention really turns to is just how do we feel about? I mean, really, what it comes down to is how do we feel about Paverbeek and the job that he's done in the last year? Because I think no one, not a single person, would argue that this year has gone according to plan. No one would argue that that this trade deadline was what anyone had envisioned, not even close, when the year started, when the when the offseason moves were made. And I think there's a there's a growing contingent of fans that are kind of becoming more skeptical of Pat Verbeek. What do you have to say to their skepticism? Um, I think to the skepticism, I think that I, I think what I would say is it's still very early. We and I think that so I think there's a bunch of things that I, I want to mention on this. I think it's early. He's been here for a year. It's very difficult for a general manager to be able to rework an entire organization within a year. And I think with Bob Murray, we saw at the end of that tenure. I mean, I, I was looking back randomly at my tweets, and at the 2021 deadline was when he had mentioned that the Ducks were done rebuilding, and they were focusing on getting tw- age 24 to 27 year olds. That was two trade deadlines ago. And so I think having a general manager that at least has a plan in place. And while there are certainly things on the fringes that you can be critical about, whether it is keeping Dallas Akins for this year, whether it is not uh, providing an offer sheet or not an offer sheet, um, a qualifying offer to Sonny Milano, uh, all these kind of little, little decisions here and there, I think you can certainly be critical of. But I think the overall plan in place is, and there's an overall direction to this ship. And that direction is to build this team to be a contender one day. And I think that that overall direction can be seen. You can see that path at play. And I think that's the biggest difference between now and a year and a half ago, where we didn't necessarily see that. One of our biggest criticisms uh, of 
the end of the Bob Murray era was it felt like a rudderless ship. It felt like it was one step one way, one step the other. It was always a back and forth. And so I think with Pat Verbeek, I think there are options to be critical. I think keeping Dallas Akins for this season is one of the biggest ones that you could certainly be critical of. And I think that decision right there tanked John Klingberg's value. Because I think if you want to look at one decision of why John Klingberg did not have value on the market, it's the fact that Dallas Akins never fully understood how to deploy him. The fact that he was never fully utilized on the first power play unit um, and was there for like six games to start the year and then was put on the second unit and never put back. Like if you want to look at a way of really negating the value, if John Klingberg is on that first unit and feeding uh, <clears throat> Mason McTavish, and while granted Fowler's left-hand shot, Klingberg's right-hand shot, so maybe the way it gets set up is a little bit different, but I still think John Klingberg would have been able to do it just fine and been been able to get a lot of points uh, from that situation. That really increases his value because that starts to get off the page for you from that perspective. And so I think that there are these little decisions, and while coaching maybe isn't a little decision extending the coach for the year, the overall path to be successful is there. And I think that that is the most critical part. And that in the global perspective, getting a guy for future considerations, moving him for futures and a <clears throat> and someone you like to help your bottom six, that's a positive direction move, pushing you in the right direction. Trading a guy that just took up cap space for you this year and trading him for a fourth round pick and a prospect that you like, that's something moving you in the right direction. And so these are all things that kind of pushes you in that right direction. Yeah, I, I think that the key there that, that's kind of coming through and what you're saying is process versus results. I think that right now people are down on Pat Verbeek because of the results. They are down on the fact that the team has been terrible, mm -hmm. right, rightfully so. Like That's a very valid critique to be, to be upset about that. But they're mad about the fact that this team has been bad, upset about the fact that Klingberg did not pan out, and that's one of his few moves. I mean, Pat Verbeek has single-digit UFA signings to his name. So he didn't work out. Frank Vetrano has been fine, been meh, whatever you want to call it, right? And then Ryan Strom. I mean, that's a contract that I think was there were some critiques to be had, and he hasn't necessarily lived up to his contract this year. We can we can debate about that perhaps with production wise, but his overall play has been terrible. So yep. sure, the the results haven't been there. Pat Verbeek undoubtedly this is not what he envisioned when he made these moves. But that to me is not the way that you should evaluate a GM at least solely. The, the, especially the, not a year in. Sorry, I want to add that. Especially, especially not a year in. Especially a year in. The the outcome there in a sport like hockey that has so much variance, so much luck that goes into it, there's just going to be variance. There's a range of outcomes. And Paverbeek is is cognizant of this. He said at previous deadlines, at the previous deadline, I have a bunch of scenarios, and we're going to execute depending on how things shake out. And mm -hmm. when I look at Paverbeek's process so far, we can go item by item. I think that the big picture stuff he's nailed. We were fans of the, the draft picks that he made last season. I think that the off-season UFA signings, Klingberg made sense. We said at the time, it made sense. It made sense to take a swing on a guy who is at the lowest of his value, try to maybe recoup the asset and flip him. Hey, if it works out, maybe he'll be a duck long-term. If it doesn't, you get a trade at the deadline. That is what happened. Ryan Strom, okay, that's the one that you can nitpick, but still, they needed, they needed to pay someone money. They were beneath the cap floor. He is at a reasonable price for what he's going to be. He's going to be a middle six center, potentially winger. And then Frank Vetrano, a, a reasonable deal. That's 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 not, I don't think that that opinion has really changed either. So 
in the aggregate, the big picture stuff for Pat Verbeek, the process has been fine. It's It's been, like you said, commensurate with a GM that's trying to build for the long term. Now, smaller scale margins, I think that that's where there's a lot more criticism. I mean, signing Nathan Beaulieu, passing up on Sonny Milano, passing up on Ellie Tolvin, like there are things to be critical of, but the process in the aggregate, in the big picture, the stuff that really is going to drive results, I think that he's been he's been fine. Now, I do want to just quickly point out that there are maybe criticisms you can make of this deadline from the perspective of, why didn't you trade Kevin Shattenkirk? Why didn't you trade Derek Grant? Like, there are other guys that could have been traded, and they, and they just didn't do it. But even that, still, I think Pat Verbeek's process has been just fine. And the, the question there may have been, what was the value that they were getting? It may yeah. have just been negligible. I think Adam Henrique's the only guy where you could look back on, but after Injury. the deadline, we found out he's at, he what, sprained MCL? MCL just sprain. Sh- just shitty timing there. And yeah. so it, it's funny, as I'm listening to you say that, right? My brain goes back to however many of the past years with Bob Murray. Yeah. And how, in a vacuum, every trade's fine, right? Like, mm-hmm. the value going each way is fine. On the fringes, these are fine deals. But at the end of the day, those are just deals on the fringes. And while those can certainly help you, and those are important deals, I think, when you are a contending team, getting wins on the fringes really helps propel you into to the really good status. And while Bob Murray, I have all of my issues with him. That was one thing that he did. What he was able to do when the ducks were contending is they, he was able to get things on the fringes that were well. Um, and it's funny list looking at the, the Pat Verbeek side of it. And it's kind of the exact opposite. And I feel like that's why we're kind of seeing a bit of this, uh, butting pushback. of heads, a, a bit of pushback, a bit of butting of heads where these people that would have gone out and defended Bob Murray by saying these were good deals, they're coming back and kind of saying the other way. And the, it, it's just kind of flipped on its head. Whereas with Bob Murray, the big picture was just back and forth. There wasn't, make sense. Pro- there wasn't this process. And every deal in isolation was fine. Defensible. But in, isola- in, in the big picture, there wasn't a big picture. And I think that that's why you and I are maybe able to give uh, Paverbeek a little bit more leeway right now is that that big picture is there. Well, also, and, while, yeah. and while these deals on the fringes aren't necessarily working out and they may not be getting commensurate value in some of those that you would expect and want, but the overall big picture trend is still there. Yes. And also where the ducks are at right now, which is kind of like ground floor ish of the rebuild. The big picture is the most important thing. Exactly. If the, if the ducks were contending, the small stuff matters more, right? This, cause the, cause your team is built, you've made your big decisions. You you've paid the big contracts. Now it's about really fine tuning the roster the Ducks aren't there. They need to make sure that mm-hmm. they're that they're getting their house in order. And so far, they've done that. Now, again, I'm not saying that Pat Verbeek is, is unblemished. There are issues with some of the things he's done. I think you can say, yeah, bringing back Dallas Akins for another year, that did not age well. I mean, I disagreed with it at the time, for the record. But there was a logic to that. And I will, yeah. I will at least lay out that there, there was a logic, which is that, hey, Dallas Akins has been dealt a pretty tough hand here working for Bob Murray, also just kind of being working in this rebuild where the team has been terrible. Let's see what he can do with maybe a little bit of an upgraded roster. Let's And at least for Pat Verbeek's purposes, just finding out what this guy is as a coach, seeing him up close for a year. And hey, maybe if he proves himself, if the team takes a step forward, then we'll bring him back. And if he doesn't, no harm, no foul, served his walking papers at the end of the season, and off we go, find another candidate. So there was a defensible logic to that i also i do think that there may have been 
some ownership implication there, right? If you think about the fallout of the Bob Murray situation, who knows who was affected or implicated in all of that. Yep. And so maybe giving Dallas Higgins another year is a little bit of a make good. We don't know. That's just pure speculation on my part. All of this to say that although I vehemently disagree with bringing back Dallas Higgins, I think that the general hockey world doesn't view Dallas Higgins like we do wrongly, but they don't. And I think Paverbeek was trying to approach that with an open mind and see how it plays out. And look, yes, the Ducks have the Ducks have now gone with a terrible season. They will get a top three, top five, whatever draft pick out of it. But we all knew that this was not going to be the, the the season where the Ducks really turned the corner. We, as optimistic as we were, we thought, okay, best case scenario, they make the playoffs or they're really pushing for it throughout. But there was never this sense of, oh, this is the year that the Ducks are legitimately competing. They're, they're a contender. So the fact that the Ducks were terrible this year, in the big picture, this year was not the year anyway. And and I'm not saying this now, revisionist history, you can go back, it's all recorded. We were saying this at the time over the summer. So again, this is not meant to be like a defense of Paverbeek. It's just laying out what we've been saying and just different factors to consider. Yep, yep. All right, want to jump into some of the quotes that he gave in the the uh, Orange Alliance um, uh, interview, whatever you want to call it. Interview interview is an interesting word. Also, I think Pavrubik spoke to the media once, and and it was it seems like it was very informal because we got some uh, some quotes from Lisa Dillman and maybe Stevens, but really it was just he went on his podcast right away. We got some quotes, and then that was yeah. It. Like I don't, I don't love that. I wish there was there was a little more, more scrutiny. Yeah, yeah. yeah. With Pavrubik though, I think to talk about what he said on the Beaker, one of the bigger things, um, and he also spoke uh, before the Ducks game um, on Friday, and so he was there on TV before the Ducks game. Having, That's true, and I don't like, think I don't recall a, Bob Murray ever doing that. A good ten to fifteen minutes speaking with, with Guy Bear and Kent French. He went and, more in depth on that than I think he did on the Beaker. And yes. even probably, I mean, I wasn't at the pancake brouhaha yeah. slash brunch. But, I mean, some of the big talking points from it are that it sounds like Jackson Lacombe, whenever a season's done, they are really making it a point that he is going to play with the Ducks, which means he's signing his contract. That was one of the big probably uh, overtures that they Parrots. had to make yeah. to be able to get him to sign. So this year is going to be burned once he signs that contract. Um, and we'll probably see him with the Ducks play a couple games. So that's going to be exciting to see from that perspective of things. Um, and some other stuff that he really mentioned was, I think one of the things, my biggest takeaways from these quotes that were in the article was when talking about the ducks this season, um, specifically he states, I think early on with the team and you're going to hear me say this a lot, the compete level wasn't a standard of what I expected. I want us to be really hard to play against. And we were too easily pushed aside. We weren't competing hard enough to win pox. So I think that kind of contributed early on to the record. And the thing that sticks out to me right there is, I feel like you and I texted about this a bit, but that's a really big indictment on the coaching staff. Yeah, because that's the thing that you look... I mean, I'll just I'll just get back to the facts instead of giving my opinion. Last year, one thing Pat Verbeek gave Dallas Higgins credit for down the stretch was that he kept the, the, the yeah, effort, the compete true. high. And so now that that's gone, I think we can logically infer that that may be coming from... That may be a, that may be a, a critique of the coaching staff. Yep, yep. Exactly. And uh, when he talked about, and so kind of, he talked about that and th- said that things have been getting better, but 
uh, from the global perspective, compete level is something he really wants to see kind of moving forward. And then kind of with Mason McTavish, he said that Mason's really the the kid that he uh, he's seen as taking a big step um, and really kind of found an increased role. He's a really strong kid, and so he's able to handle the physical part of it. A lot of times the reason these young players can't make it in the NHL, it's not because they don't have the talent. It's because they're not strong enough. Um, they're playing against 200 guys that weigh 220 pounds. Um, and, and so he really is, it sounds like very... Um, behind Mason McTavish a lot and the fact that he's in the gym uh, a lot and um, really has put on a lot of weight. Yeah. Yeah, I think that he was very complimentary of Mason McTavish. And then looking at what he said about Trevor Zegers, I mean, I don't think that what he said about Zegers was, I think maybe you could see that as a, a criticism, but I think it was a pretty fair assessment of Zegers. He said he's doing well offensively and Oh, he said that before the between the legs goal. But anyway, so he said he's he's been doing well offensively. He's made strides in his game defensively. For me, there's still a lot of work to do, uh, a lot of work, a lot for him to work on from a defensive standpoint. I would say he needs to get stronger as well. He's going to be facing those big defensemen. Not easy to do. Got to be physically strong. And so that's where Trevor needs to keep improving. And I mean, that seems like a pretty fair assessment of Trevor Zegers, right? Yeah. Would you disagree? Yep. No, I think that that's a pretty fair, he, fair I, assessment. I think that he has gotten better defensively this season. I actually, yes. you know what's funny? I don't think you'll ever hear GM say this, but I I almost wish that, I feel like, and maybe this will come through with, with his added strength, and maybe Verbeek is getting at that with some of his comments, but what I want to see with Trevor Zegers is offensive improvement. That's his biggest strength, like, how yeah. can how can you leverage that even more? Because sometimes I feel like Zegers has this capacity, has this capability to to really take over a game and to really start to establish himself, whether it's off the rush or off the cycle. And it feels like there's just some games where he's not bringing that. And of course, you want to shore up the weaknesses, but let's leverage those strengths even more as well. Well, I think, what was it? Steven Samkos was someone that said he's going to focus on the offseason on all of his strengths because those are what brought him to the league. And so yeah, instead of and how's that worked out for him in, pretty well? In, instead, of, uh, instead of focusing on your, your weaknesses and becoming essentially a jack of all trades and a master of none, uh, focusing on the ones that you are really skilled at. And while you're trying to negate some of your issues, you're also really putting a lot of uh, strengths to some of your strengths or a lot of uh, work to your strengths to really make those even better. And it yep. looks like Canucks just were able to score. I think it was a shorthanded goal. This is a must-lose game for the Ducks. Yeah. <laughs> must-lose. Strong terms. Um, <laughs> and so kind of after that, he they talked a little bit about Jamie Drysdale and just kind of how it, it's a shame that it's a bit of a lost season. And maybe it is a he'll shame. Be able, yeah. And, and maybe he'll get some games, but kind of they really need to see how the timeline goes. Um, and so it's kind of up in the air. And then he talked about getting Brock McGinn. Um kind of like we had talked about already someone that he valued and specifically stated that, that I've always liked McGinn as a player brings grit and competitiveness and energy. I want 20 players to have. So I think that kind of goes in line with what we were saying. They valued that, him. Yeah. That, that this wasn't just a throw in for the contract to be able to, to get a better pick. This is getting in a guy that they valued along with that. Um, and then with uh, John Klingberg, he kind of says, I think at the start of the season really pushed and tried to do more than he probably should have tried to do. I think with any player you're trying to have the best possible year, uh, or when you're trying to have the best possible year, you can start pushing too hard and you start trying too hard. Things don't work out. And in this instance, he ended up having a really tough season. Yep. And then 
I think that what was the most intriguing thing later on was some comments from Scott Niedermeyer. Do you put any stock into the fact that Niedermeyer is the other, I guess, hockey ops guy that's there? Or is that just par for the course? Maybe he's actually been at these events before. Or is that maybe an indication of where he's at right now and kind of the hierarchy of the organization? I think that's what that says. That that the fact, yeah. the fact that within this article, um, he said it states, for Verbeek and his right-hand man, Niedermeyer. Yeah, I mean, I would assume, I mean, I don't know the person who wrote this, if that if that's actually what they think is the, the status or who knows, but well, I think it is somewhat telling that Niedermeyer is the one that's there and not, let's say, whoever and, the other AGMs are. Not Martin yeah, Madden, for example, although I think he lives in Canada. So, And so we'll get to this other part of it. There, there's the Gibson part of it that we'll get to in a sec, but uh, when you're talking about the prospects, um, the Verbeek had said this next year, just on defense alone, we have Olin Selweger, Pavel Mijukov, and Tyson Hines turning pro. I'm not sure where Jackson Lacombe is going to end up yet, but he's going to start with Anaheim when his college season is over. But those four highly respected prospects there, San Diego next year is probably going to see a lot of who is going to be playing for the Ducks, hopefully in a couple of years. So it's really exciting for me and for both organizations. And so for anyone out there saying, oh no, all those guys are going to be in San Diego, I don't think that's what he stated. I think what he said is that. And this isn't a wrong statement. Most of those guys are going to be in San Diego next year. Yeah, it's and, just, and, and and you and you probably want that too. And even if Zellweger makes the team, I wouldn't be shocked if he gets a spell in San Diego for four to five games and then comes back up at some point in time. Yep. And and one other thing that he said, uh, Pat Verbe, kind of after this, he said uh, the Ducks have a really young defense corps, and he's going to ask Scott Niedermeyer to go mentor them, to go watch them. And I also asked him to go watch games when we're looking at a player. I don't profess to know every little nuance of what the best defenseman could be. So I asked him to go do that. I see what my eye sees, but I want his opinion too. And yeah. that kind of goes to show, I think, how much Scott Niedermeyer is leaned upon from Pat Verbeek. Yeah, and I think that this kind of collaborative approach is not really something we've seen that we didn't see from Bob Murray at least, but mm-hmm. I think is a lot more indicative of just where the league is going and kind of you see a lot more management groups that are more of a two-headed monster, more of a approach by committee. And I think that's good to see. And I think that I'm always encouraged when a leader is comfortable saying what they don't know, right? I yes. think that that level of humility and self-awareness is really, really important. Knowing what you don't know is almost more important than being you know so confident in what you do know. Um, yep. And then Niedermeyer added, he said he was very, very glowing when talking about Olin Zellweger, saying yes. he, wa- he wants to do something every time he's on the ice. When you get to the highest level of hockey, sometimes that can be a challenge. You have to figure out when and where you do that, but you love to see it. Pat talked about the competitiveness and what he wants in players. Zellweger has it. He has that competitiveness. I mean, that to me is a very, very important quote because if, I mean, just do, do the math. If Pat Verbeek really trusts Scott Niedermeyer, particularly on defensemen, and Scott Niedermeyer is going to bat for Olin Zellweger this strongly, and who knows what's going on behind closed doors, I mean, we're going to see Olin Zellweger in the NHL next season. Not, not saying yeah. for 82 games, but he's he's and, got he's got some good push for him right now. And not saying just because of this, this makes him a great evaluator of talent, but I think no matter what, when you have this type of glowing compliments from one of the best defensemen to ever lace them up, that says something, right? Well, well also, Niedermeyer was a great defenseman in a specific way, 
right? Yeah. You know, his smarts, his skating. Yes. I mean, Scott Niedermeyer would have been even better in today's NHL. Yes. And yeah. I and I think that, you know, with Olin Zellweger, his his analysis is correct. I mean, everything he said is, because you, know, you can be high on a player and be wrong. But here, I think that Scott Niedermeyer is correct. So it's it's all encouraging stuff. But you did want to talk about the Gibson quote. Yeah, so I think it's something that people want to hear us talk about. I saw jo- our good friend John talk from about Gibson. the Nest. Talk yeah. about Gibson. The fact that uh, Paverbeek mentioned, and I don't know if he was asked about this, but he said, I'm not considering moving John Gibson. I've sat down and had a conversation with him about this. We have an excellent number one goaltender. The hardest thing in the NHL is finding a number one goaltender. And uh, I can speak from experience on this because when we were in Tampa, we did not have a number one goaltender. We gave up numerous assets trying to chase one. Finally, we were able to draft one on one with Andre Vasilevsky. When you have one, you don't give them up unless you've got another one that's coming behind. At this point, we're very young with our goaltenders. And certainly we're not at that stage where anyone can take John Gibson's position at number one right now. Now, juxtapose that with everything that we've been hearing the last few weeks, right? Yeah. About how the Ducks would be happy to to help John Gibson find a new home, how John Gibson would like to go somewhere we, where he can win. And we've been hearing this now for over a year, right? This is yep. This is not a new phenomenon, and it got even louder and more explicit as the deadline neared. So T- TSN added him to their trade bait board. Yeah, so I... Look, I'm not... Ex- like, and And I don't want this to sound like... This might sound a little hypocritical because we just went on about what Pat Verbeek was saying, but I don't expect Pat Verbeek at a fan pancake breakfast with a season ticket holders to say, yes, I want to trade the franchise goaltender. I don't expect him to say that. And frankly, I don't expect him to say that publicly at all unless it's it Pat, unless John Gibson actually has said that he wants out and this is now like point of no return type situation. So I don't want to. I'm going to throw a little cold water on this Paverbeek statement, and and I think that it's important for him to say that too, because now you're you're making it clear that you're not desperate to move John Gibson either. And yeah. and there is, I mean, look, let's say that the Ducks never trade John Gibson. If if you put John Gibson in a better environment, who knows? Maybe he'll maybe he'll be fine, and maybe he does end up being this elite number one that Paverbeek is referring to. But again, I'm throwing cold water on it, and I'm just saying that there's been too much smoke around this, and ultimately, I just don't, I don't buy it. <laughs> I don't know how well, else to say it. Also, I find it very interesting that he mentions, and granted, he says afterwards, kind of their goaltenders are very young, but he says when you have one, you don't give them up unless you've got another one that's coming behind, and they do. Will the end of this season and how Lucas Dostal is able to play impact that? I think that every great Lucas Dostal performance is just, it just gets you a little closer to the goal line of moving yeah. John Gibson. And I also, I, I think you're right. I think it, I think that it's of interest that, um, that Elliot Friedman went out on the Ducks podcast and said that he thinks that they would like to move him. Or he <laughs> right. That, like that was on the Ducks podcast on 32 thoughts. Like there's certainly someone that wants to get that opinion out, whether right. it's coming someone from the is duck saying side this. Of, <laughs> whether it's coming from the duck side of things, which I mean, to be honest, Paverbeek comes from the Eisman philosophy, which is essentially getting nothing out, right? Poker, poker face. Yeah. yeah. Poker face, never putting out their opinion in public, things like that, which maybe even goes more so to this of not wanting it to get out that he's looking to move Gibson. But 
so it's certainly coming from a different side of it. And if that's coming from the John Gibson side of it, I think that's also telling that that this yeah. is something that he's pushing for. And maybe that's why he said he had to sit down with Gibson and talk about it. Well, and this is the other question, right? Is when did that conversation happen? Because yeah. I'm pretty sure that we, because Gibson came out and spoke to the media last offseason, which he never does, to clarify the situation. And I think he had said that he had spoken to Pat Verbeek or that they were planning on speaking or whatever. So this conversation he's referring to could have happened months ago. Yeah. Like we, we don't even know. So to your point, though, on you know the, the reporting, I think that what got even more interesting at this deadline is that it was not just, oh, Gibson wants out. It was, hey, the Ducks are, are open to facilitating this as well. So when there's smoke, there's fire. Who knows how close that ever got at this deadline, but I just, I don't buy this notion that the Ducks are dead set on keeping John Gibson for the entirety of his contract. I think they would much prefer to have added cap flexibility. And look, John Gibson, he's going to get you a lot more than Nikita Nestorenko and and a fourth round pick. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Want to move on to questions. We're at an hour mark, so we can blitz through these. Let's do that. All right. So we'll start with our Discord. Go to patreon.com slash crash spawn. Absolutely fantastic value for you to, to join our Discord, get our bonus episodes, everything like that. Ferda Ducks asks, uh, this is a very difficult hypothetical question, but hypothetically, if the Ducks finish somewhere in the second to sixth draft position, should they consider packaging that draft pick with Trevor Zegris to move up to first overall? Would any other team that might end up with the first overall accept that deal? No. I don't think any team would accept that. Would I, you do that if you were the Ducks? Yes. Connor okay. Bedard. Connor okay. Bedard. Okay. Connor Bedard. I think second, I might not. I think when you get to the fourth or fifth, I probably would. Yeah, I just, the drop-off after Bedard to me is huge. But what's what's better, Bedard or Fantillion Zegris or Bedard? That's tough. Yeah. That's tough. But I just, Connor Bedard. I'll just, I'm just, gonna, I'm going to leave it at that. Connor Bedard. I get it. I get it. I mean, I guess it's giving you Bedard McTavish. Re- replace, the but replace the name Bedard with McDavid or Crosby or, I mean, that's maybe yeah. not quite to those, but that's the ilk of player that you're getting. I think the question is, is how, I think the question is, how do you evaluate Fantillion? Though? Like, don't talk your way out of having a generational player on your team. Don't do it. Fair. Fair. I, I think if it's second or second overall, I think I would have a tough time doing it. Like this, isn't, it, this isn't a situation of you'd rather have four quarters than a dollar or anything. No, like that. no. But I think if it's second, I would have a tough time. If it starts getting the fourth, fifth, especially sixth, I'd do that. Yes. I think second would be a much tougher call. I still think I'd do it, but I'm like, I don't want to be the one having to make that call. Um, after that, though, slam dunk. Yeah. Slam dunk. Hey, Flow asks, uh, what are Felix's biggest takeaways from AEW Revolution this past weekend? Wrestling question. Yeah. All I will say is that Hangman Page is the best babyface in wrestling today. You are 100% correct. He is my ride or die. I've just I've just actually made up takes. I don't even know if this is true. I mean, or what that is, is a fantastic to. take. He won a, a Texas death match on the weekend. Uh, AEW Revolution was one of their best, best pay-per-views from top to bottom. It was absolutely amazing. So there's that. I feel like my, my Twitter feed has been inundated with Boston College highlights the last few days. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, I got a cough real quick, so sorry about this. Okay. 
Well, let's see right. here. Now, now on to Twitter. So I have a bunch of DMs. Okay. So Love we're going to start. Yeah, we're going to start there. Slide right uh, in. Hockey South uh, said, uh, does Beaker patch another year uh, with UFAs or go for a bigger trade of a player or two this summer? Good question. I think we're going to have to see how the landscape shakes out heading into the draft. But if the Ducks trade, I could see the Ducks trading Adam Henrique and John Gibson this summer. I think that those bigger kind of hockey type trades that aren't just pure offloading a an expiring contract, I think those have a chance of happening this summer. Do you think the Ducks would try to get in on Jesper Bratt with Adam Henrique plus futures? <sighs> they really should. Jesper Bratt makes so much sense for this team. Because how old is Jesper Bratt? I think he's 23, right 24. Uh, let's see. Where is his cap friendly? Because I'm trying to think. Because he's an RFA this summer, right? He is 24. Yeah. He's 24, going to be 25 this summer. So yeah. he's of he's the Troy Terry age range. Yep. Um, and kind of looking at the Devils, I mean, the issue I think for the Devils is, I mean, they're going to have to either sign him or, or Timo Meyer. He's they, not. They, he he won't be a Devil come next season. Like I'm just I'm just putting that out there. No yeah, no I mean, no no inside knowledge, but he will I not mean, be a Devil. They're going to really struggle next season to be able to hit the cap. I mean, granted, they have Damon Severson and Ryan Graves coming off their books next year, which gets them about seven mil. But they they need a figure it out and where they're going to, where they're going to pay well, up the, because the, the devils have to sign Timo Meyer to, to a massive extension this summer. Yeah. Because otherwise like this is going to be really interesting because he can just lord over the fact that he can walk the summer after over them. And so that's why I think Brat is gone. will be a casualty of that. They've already had a, a very strange relationship. That is a player. If I'm Pavrobeek that I'm targeting because he just makes the ducks better immediately. Yeah, and I mean, I think you would have to give up Adam Henrique plus plus. That's fine. I mean, Adam Henrique is, like, it's found money to get anything for Adam Henrique. Yeah, well, Adam Henrique plus maybe, like, Noah Warren, Tristan Leneau. That's fine. Yep. That's I, fine. I, maybe even more than that. Who knows? Um, you know, I, I will say this. Never overestimate what an NHL trade will end up being because they, all, they always disappoint. <laughs> so. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, yeah, so so there's a couple things out there, but I think that that's something the Ducks should definitely be on. I think I think this is the summer. I, I think this is the summer for Pat Verbeek to really go for it because, I mean, we're we're entering the fifth straight season of no playoffs for, for this franchise. I, I think, I mean, you look at Pat Verbeek's quotes and it doesn't sound like he, he wants to tear this down. I think he thinks that there is something there for this well, team. Here's the other cold, hard reality is that Trevor Zegers is owed a new contract this offseason. Yep. Troy Terry is owed a new contract. You can go down the list. So if the Samuel and Jamie Drysdale add that add him to the list, the Samuels are going to start paying a lot more for these players. And I think that as the team gets more expensive, it's going to be harder to be patient and and rebuild. So that's why I I don't think that the Ducks are just going to try to be competitive to to appease ownership because this we know the Samuels are a patient kind of hands off ownership group, but I think that now as you start to pay these players, there is an impetus to, to be more competitive. Yeah. Yep. Um, and he also said, will the goals have a very young roster with few veterans next season? I uh, College and junior prospects arrive in mass next season. I think so. Yeah, I think the goals are 
going to be really interesting next season. I'm also very curious to see who their coach will be because I believe Roy Somers in a one-year deal. Yeah, that felt like it was a stopgap contract. Very much so. Especially with if you... I think he's retiring if, after this season. Well, I think especially if you look at that roster and look at the fact that this was a weird season for the Ducks where they have so many of their prospects in junior and college that they really just didn't have a whole lot of guys in the AHL, and it was really filled with kind of more so of the AHL veteran type of players. Disrespectful. What? Disrespectful to Braden Tracy. I guess. Um, and so, yeah. And then he also asked, does Ian Moore get signed to his ELC before next season? Ooh, great question. I don't know. We've heard nothing on that. Yeah, I mean, he's a weird one because the rules are weird because he wasn't drafted out of college because he went back to, to the U, uh, USHL. Mm-hmm. and then went to college afterwards. So I think there's a whole nother, like he has a well, decent amount of time. Yeah, it says Cap Friendly says he he must sign by 2025, which I think is wrong because they were wrong also about Henry Thrun. Okay. Because Henry Thrun they had listed at 2024 because the IVs didn't play. So well, I if think it's, if that, it's a year off then I th- I think it's a year off. I think it's 2024 when he has yeah. to sign by. Well, we don't know. <laughs> yeah. We just don't know. Yep. So uh, we'll see. I, I think he's an interesting prospect, a guy that's really a long-term project. And so we'll kind of see what happens there. Um, and then Justin Beck asked a uh, question for the pod. Do you think there's a chance that Dallas Akins joins the front office? He has the reputation of being a great guy. So it made me think that maybe he doesn't get fired and get, but gets pushed into a special assistant role. I could see him maybe moving to like a development staff role. You know, I, I don't think that that's crazy to think about, but. Is that what he wants? I mean, could he go be a coach somewhere else? I, I just don't know. I, here's I don't also see my it. here's my issue with that. Also, is that typically happens when guys get essentially relieved of their duties, and it's a way that they're still employed by the team. Like that's what happened with Randy Carlisle. Was whatever he got kicked up for a year or for the rest of the year. It, it's a way of keeping them in the organization so they get paid or whatever. Dallas Aiken's contract is up after this season. So it's not as if he's getting fired from that perspective. His contract's being let to run out, and then they're going to find a new coach. So I just got a great text here from longtime friend of the show, Bonnie, with uh, another longtime friend of the show, Missy, who's her friend. They are uh, they're at yeah, the they're in Vancouver. Yeah, yeah just, they're, they were just, in Seattle last week. Just got a photo from that game. So that's nice. Uh, hello from Vancouver. That is awesome. I'm jealous. Yeah. I, yes. <laughs> I would not, not that, you know, nothing against you, Jake, nothing against a pod, but I'd much rather be, you know, it it would be a lot more fun with a beer at a hockey game at some point in the near future. Yeah. Yes. Um, all right. This came from Trevor Zebra said, I've watched this amount of video of Nikita Nestorenko and I'm really glad we got him. Would you say is our best wing prospect behind, uh, Sasha Pastrjov? And do you think he'd be good? Uh, could be a good middle six player in the future. I think that's, that seems to be his ceiling. I mean, that's middle six, decent middle six player. Like, that's that seems like a best-case scenario for him. Yeah, quite yeah. Honestly. I still don't think – I think he's behind past the job. I think he's probably still behind – Perot? Jacob Perot. Braden Tracy? Braden I mean, Tracy, weirdly, if you look at NHL E, his yeah. production is – like, if you go by NHL E, uh, Nestorenko's production in college is comparable to <laughs> – Braden Tracy's and granted Jacob Perot is worse than that this year. So well, to me, Perot has a stronger, has a stronger kind of, I guess, background with his, with his OHL production, but I don't know. Those guys have been all over the place. And then Pavel Regenda, I mean, he's 23. Yeah. So anyway. Yep. 
Uh, and then he said, let's say the Ducks draft uh, either Bedard or Fantilli with Zegers and McTavish both at center. Uh, and we'll move to wing not having as much success. Do you think the Ducks will try to mold Bedard or Fantilli into a wing role like they both played in the World Juniors? Or do they try and convert one of McTavish or Zegers at wing? Um, I want to jump in here. They can just have all three at center. Yeah. I don't, know. I, I don't understand this, this whole... They have to um, all be in the top six. Yeah. Like... If you have three quality centers and have three quality lines as a result of that, that's not a bad thing. Like, I, I don't understand this, this because, and this isn't harping on, on you, Trevor Zebris. Uh, it's just a common, common. It, it's a common thing that we see a bunch. And it's, it's just sure that may happen. And that may be the way they go, but they can also all play center. Like that is an option here also. And it's not as if it's locked in that they all have to be on the top six. And especially because Mason McTavish kind of has a bit more of that two-way yeah. vi- vibe to him. I think that it's easier to say that maybe he's the 3C in that pecking order. But really, it's not... I mean, after Bedard, it's not like there's a two and a three. It's just, hey, these guys both kind of play different styles and you can throw different looks at the other team. But I mean, you think back to the the massive era of the Penguins and they had yeah. Crosby, Malkin, Stahl. Yeah, I, I mean, and even... With the Ducks having Ryan Kessler and Ryan Getzlaff, right? Just two completely different styles that you could throw yeah. at the other team. So, I, I don't. I if, if there's anyone who's going to be moved to the wing, it'll probably be Trevor Zegers, though. Yeah, probably. Which is fine. Like again, it's not like enough, enough. Yeah. Um. And then Chris Kober at District Five, Ho- Five Hockey said, "Hey, hope you're feeling better. Two questions for the pod." And I am feeling a lot better than I was on Monday. Um, in your opinion, what is the likelihood of the Ducks turning this rebuild into a true long-term contender like Chicago, Pittsburgh, uh, and Colorado versus a never-ending rebuild like in Arizona, Buffalo, Ottawa, Edmonton? I think that the Ducks are much closer to that kind of Chicago. Uh, what was the other one? Pittsburgh? Pittsburgh, Colorado. Because they have so many pieces. I think the difference with like an Arizona or a Buffalo is that they really weren't hitting on a lot of their picks, especially Buffalo until the last couple of years. Now with, with Anaheim, I think that you can already see like Trevor Zegers, Mason McTavish. These are foundational pieces. Those are home run picks. Jamie Drysdale looks good. They have more guys in the way. I think the ducks are not anywhere close to that, with that, that other category. Well, the one thing I want to add here is that we kind of, we don't really know. And well, I guess, of course we don't. <laughs> well, no. And and so here's the point I want to make on that. <clears throat> I think the biggest difference between a Chicago, a Pittsburgh, and Colorado, and I'm going to leave Arizona and Ottawa out of this, but Buffalo having Jack Eichel and Edmonton, how long it took them to get to the point that they are, the key difference there has to do with the fact of um, the build part of it. So mm-hmm. many people focus on the teardown part which the Ducks are kind of through at this point. Sure, they're they're bad this year. There's not really anything to to necessarily tear down anymore, though, unless you move out of Troy Terry from that perspective. And so the Ducks are in the build portion of this. And when you look at the teams like the Buffaloes, what did they do wrong? They surrounded the Jack Eichels of the world with the wrong talent. They, they surrounded the Rasmus Dahlins of the world with the wrong talent and continue to lose. Edmonton, what did they do wrong with, with the Taylor Halls and all those different guys? Surrounded them with the wrong talent. 
spent assets on on getting a Milan Lucic in <laughs> and spending their cap on those types of guys. And so if you're looking for for what teams did well versus what teams did poorly, Chicago the Chicago's of the world were able to fill in their roster with good guys around them. Pittsburgh was able to find a Chris Kunitz to get well, them a, val- a value quality it also, player. It also helped for, for Pittsburgh that Sidney Crosby, you can just throw pretty much anyone on his well, line. <laughs> well, yeah, but it took them it took Edmonton so long with McDavid, right? Yeah, I think that I think one big key dis- distinguishing factor also is that for Pittsburgh in particular, and you can throw in Chicago, they had great players at at a variety of positions. Yeah. Whereas if you look at Edmonton and and Buffalo, it's been really forward heavy. That's and all, fair. I mean, also well, the build has been terrible. I mean, Buffalo Buffalo also took Rasmus Dahlin first overall, so I don't think going forward but, heavy is. But Dahlin is a bit more is a bit more recent. If you look at the Ducks, I will just say that they just have a really nice balance where they have guys yes. at different positions and different roles, and that just makes it harder to screw up. Yeah. I mean, yeah, Dully was taken in 2018. I think the one thing the Ducks have going for them in their system is I actually think the strength of the well, Ducks prospect. Buffalo pool, hasn't right? made the playoffs in like over 10 years. Yeah. So this is a long build. Fair. Fair. I think one of the things going for the Ducks is even though the highest end talents are centers on this team or in the prospect system, I think the strength of this prospect pool is the blue line. Like, yeah, I, 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 think the blue, yes. I, I think the blue line, even if you include McTavish, if you include Zegers and Dry, as part of it and Drysdale as part of it, the blue line is the key aspect of this. And so you have the centers, you have the blue liners. And uh, Chris also said, and what, how, how does the percentage change with Bedard versus without him? So we didn't actually get in a likelihood percentage. I'd put it at 60-40 right now to true long-term contender versus... Uh, I'd go 70-30. And if they get Bedard, it's like 95-5. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. And uh, for the one they call Felix, <laughs> what is the deal with Lundestrom's tape job? Wait, who's asking this? Chris still. Oh, okay. Um, I mean, it's a weird tape job. He's got the max height blade, which just makes it like a paddle. It's 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 just like a taller blade. And he only tapes the very tip. He, he only he only tapes the toe. It's gross. I don't know how he even. I mean, he doesn't. Really, I guess he controls the puck well, but I don't know how you're able to stick handle like that with just no grip whatsoever. Maybe he has the grip texture on the blade. Some guys have that, but it's just as the as the hockey guys will say, it's it's a dusty it's a dusty look. There it is. All right. So now we're going to go to our Twitch and YouTube stream. Uh, if those of you in our Twitch stream and our YouTube stream, thank you everyone for tuning in when there's a game going on. Uh, yeah. If you have any questions, uh, please make sure to throw your questions in there. If you want to support us, go to twitch.tv slash crash If you have Amazon prime, you get one free and Twitch prime gaming sub each and every month. It does help support us more than you can imagine. Um, you can just be like even wilder wing who subscribed uh, for one month. They've been subscribed uh, for 30 months. So thank you so much. Or if you're watching on YouTube, if you prefer YouTube, Please subscribe, like to our videos there. It does help out. So uh, we're going to start with Brandon Potato who said, who do you have as the next goalie after Dostal? It seems like e- if either Gibson or Dostal get, gets hurt, we don't really have a quality guy past that. Anthony Stolarz. <laughs> no, I, Callie Klang. Yeah, no, it's it's Callie Klang. Although next season, I think Callie Klang is in the AHL. Yeah. And, and so... But, I, but, Cl- I, but Klang is the guy, like just in terms of the pecking order, he's the next prospect after... Uh, after Lucas Dostal. 
Yep, exactly. And so that that was someone that they got in the Ricard Raquel trade. It's someone that I mean, he's put up a nine oh one in the SHL this year. So not yeah. exactly great he in twenty five games. He had great numbers the prior years. Yeah. But this is this has not been a great season for him. Yep. So a bit of a step back there for him. Um, and then a two-part question from Fat Geralt. I understand that if this is blasphemous for a Ducks podcast, but I'm in- interested to see what you both think about Quick being traded and how do you feel about him ending up in Vegas? The so floor we, is yours. So we recorded a uh, a Patreon podcast about this, and actually the trade broke as we were recording. Just, just the Columbus part of it, though. The Vegas part hadn't come hadn't happened. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. Uh, I love it. I love it. Oh, I love I, it too. I can't I can't stress enough how much I love it. It's so great. The pettiness, the rivalry, the bad blood. I'm praying I'm praying to the hockey gods for a Vegas LA series. It's gonna be awesome. And yeah, I I, I I'm curious to see what, what if Quick has already done something with his pads and his helmet because he just had the Yeah, he has some the, he, they they were able to do the mask quick. Because he had the he just had the Golden Knights like sticker basically yeah. on the LA King's shield, which just looked hilarious. There's just something so delicious about this entire situation and I am I am just excited yeah. to see what, and what happens. Here's the thing. I don't mind Rob Blake doing this. I'm completely fine with Rob Blake doing this because it's him taking an ass. It's him getting the the best, or it's him improving his team. And even though, yes, yeah, sure, Jonathan Quick is someone that is considered a franchise legend, did not have a no movement clause in his contract. Yeah, like, I, I think that fans sometimes, you know, you can't have it both ways. You can't have a GM who's just always trying to improve the team and a GM who's, you know, placating at all at every turn. You know, these these kind of more iconic players. I think especially with Quick, there was a bunch of stuff that came out after about how, you know, they did notify him at a time. They did tell Kopitar and Dowdy. Like, I feel like the way it was initially reported kind of made it seem like he got stabbed yeah. in the back, a la Fleury, uh, Pete DeVore, Alan yeah. Walsh style. Not the case. Uh, who knows? I mean, it's all it's all just a hearsay situation, but I've got no issue with it, and we're all the better for it as hockey fans. Yeah, and also I find it hilarious that this is the second time the Kings have traded a goalie just for him to be traded back right away to a division <laughs> rival. Martin Jones uh, was traded to Boston and then traded oh, to San yeah. Jose. That is right. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah. Threw yeah, it back with that one. Not as much uproar around the Martin Jones deal. Uh, there was some uproar back then about it. Well, because he was like a top-flight goalie prospect. And yeah. He, he, I mean, he, he was their, he was their uh, backup on their cup teams. Yeah, but then once he got out of San Jose, the uh, the shine the shine came yeah. off pretty quickly. Yeah, Lewis X two hundred nine said uh, thoughts on raw oranges. Great, great, love love me some raw oranges. Much better do, than cooked. Do you need like who cooks and like this? For those that don't know, Felix said this in our Discord that he had a raw orange, and it's like how what's, else? What's are, the issue? Raw, how else do you have an orange? Like why, why are you, is raw? Why are you state? policing it, my free speech? Ugh. ugh. Oh yeah, I'm looking at Quick's pads right now, and they just got the the pad skins or the pad wraps on it. Okay, and it just looks awful. Oh, um, and then DB Lowry thirty five oh seven said, uh, "What's our favorite drink order?" So, I need clarification. Probably cocktail, like alcoholic drink, most likely. You know, I'm a beer guy. Beer, that- beer for me. Um, I'd say if I'm at a bar, the way I can always tell if a bar is a good bar or not is if I order an old fashioned 
and if it comes with a big ice cube or just with a bunch of ice in a cup. And so, I mean, old fashions are my go-to at a bar um, if I'm going to order something. Something I've kind of been digging a lot lately, though, is uh, ranch water. I think just a, a tequila soda with some lime in it. So yeah. good. So good. Yeah. Uh, DB Lowry's all saying what kind of IP, what kind of beer? IP love, lager sour. Love like it's kind of it kind of sucks. I feel like ever since I started drinking IPAs, I can't really enjoy other beers. I love me a hazy IPA. Stone hazy IPA comes to mind. All those great SoCal breweries. They're just so good. Mm-hmm. So yeah, hazy yep. IPA is my go-to. I had an IPA recently, and it's honestly, it'd been a while since I had. And that first sip, it it's just so, it was something so good. about an ice cold hazy IPA. It, yeah, after it was a, a hazy, long day. Oh, it was so so good. Um, yeah, and so let's see. I just I just can't enjoy sours. They just it's just I, I don't I, know. I like sours. Sours are good. Can't get there. I'm not a lager guy though. Um, not lagers a real du- are, lagers are good for the volume approach. I am good with Mexican lagers, but that's really it. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. Lagers are fine, but there's just better. Yeah. Um, and then I guess the last question, then we'll kind of get out of here. Not a real duck ask grill or, uh, not the grilled water. How'd that end up there? Uh, do you think for beak will weaponize the offer sheet this year? Lots of RFAs for got on capstrap teams. No. Yeah, I don't think so. It's just really hard to well to the compensation. The, the compensation's hard, and so I think you would well, much especially rather especially for the, for this team or where yeah. they are at right now. I think. I mean, I guess the benefit is, is it would be twenty twenty four picks, not twenty twenty three. If you offer sheeted a guy, yeah, but but, but it's still, dicey. It, it, it's very dicey. I don't think so because the 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 uh, cap hit compensation. I think it's way more likely the Ducks try to go after that with utilizing the bevy of prospects that they have and players make a trade to to get, yeah. a la fiala yeah yeah by the way someone put that out there on uh on twitter that the meme of uh jonathan quick with the sword in his back that says blake on it you know in in copying mm-hmm. the flurry meme i just i love that the internet the internet delivers sometimes and and that is that is one yep. of those times also i love that lewis is just putting in our in our chat love an ice cold coors light I will say a very cold Coors Light on a hot summer day, especially no. if, especially if you're by a body of water. No, whether it's ocean, lake. No, it's there's so no. There's so many better beers to well, have. Well, yes, of course. No one is saying this is the best beer, but I'm just saying it can it can have a nice little effect. Sure, it's fine, but I'd <laughs> like I'd much rather prefer something else. Of course, I mean, yes, I agree. Okay. But you, you know you have to, you have to be able to enjoy the simple things. If, yeah. you, if, you're, if you're constantly nitpicking, you're never going to be happy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or you can just All buy right. a different beer. Yeah, exactly. Or All a right. dozen silver bullets. Yeah. Yeah. The only the only way that I'm going to drink a, a Coors Light is if I'm at a party and that's all they really have, like someone's house or whatever, and they just got Coors Lights. Yeah. So when we first started this podcast, um, oh. Yeah. In 2017, just for context, because now we're far removed enough where I feel like I'm more comfortable with the, talking about the context. I was living in an apartment with like seven other dudes and I was like, you know, mid, mid twenties back then, kind of just fresh out of college and drank a lot of Miller Lite. I was, that, that was your I, go-to. I was in a heavy Miller Lite going out drinking phase and, uh, now when I drink Miller Lite, I 
It's not good. No, it's terrible. It is not good. It's just awful. And so, like, look in hindsight, you know, listening back or <laughs> you were such so, a stand for middle Miller Lightway back. Then. I was I was true to you know my twenty five year old partying self, but now I mean I don't go out. I barely drink. Uh, J- so. Jake M in our YouTube chat saying, since you're in the Bay now, go to Russian River, some of the best IPAs in California. Ooh, isn't that that's in a little where is that know. Russian River? I don't know. Just, I think that, just I think that, that that's further up for me. That's like a few hours, okay. but but probably worth a trip though. Day trip. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's past Santa Rosa. Wow. Oh. Okay. Anyway, yeah, good shout though. Mm-hmm. Okay. On that note, we're almost an hour and a half in. Anything else? No, I think that's gonna do it. We do made I... it, we we made it through the deadline. Oh, I did want to ask you. Oh. How do you feel? about a world where the NHL has 34 teams. I hate it. Two of which are in Houston and Atlanta. I hate, thir- like, 32 is a nice symmetry. The fact that there's 16 teams that make the playoffs, the fact that it creates 16 teams in each division. Like, there's just a lot of symmetry there. And as someone who really likes that, I hate the fact that this is going to screw all of that up. Well, it it might not happen. Although, I feel like if there's two ownership groups that want to give the NHL money... I don't think the NHL is going to say no. Houston, sure. Atlanta, I don't know. I mean, the, that's my issue with this is that like I'm not as I don't really care about the, the the number. It's just that these two markets just don't intrigue me. Like Houston, yeah, I know that they've had you know pro hockey there for a while. They had an AHL team there. I don't know if they still do. And then Atlanta, like how many times? Like how many times does it need to fail for for us to know that this is just not going to work? If it yeah. was Quebec City and I don't know what what's what's like another American market that would be exciting. Uh, let's go Quebec City and Cleveland. I said exciting. Cle- yeah, Cleveland's not exciting. Hartford? Kansas City. Kansas City. I don't know. I mean, that's the other thing. I feel like in the USA, maybe this is gonna offend people, but I don't think that there's Wisconsin, Green Bay, Milwaukee. Yeah, give Milwaukee a team. I'd see, okay, I was going to say that I don't feel like there are that many kind of natural markets left that I'm like excited about, and that could be one of them. The, I wonder how the wild would feel about that because that's, because I'm, I'm guessing people in Wisconsin root for the wild. Probably. Maybe I'm completely wrong about that because I know there's I mean, they rivalry. may be Red Wings fans because the wild yeah. are just such a newer team. That's true. Yeah. Wisconsin. Or they might just be, team. maybe they just might be Wisconsin, Wisconsin Badgers fans. You know what? I now I'm now I'm on board. That's a good shout. Okay. Give me a give me a hockey team in Wisconsin. I mean they're they're one of the hotbeds in the in the country. Yeah, Cole Caulfield, Wisconsin Badger. Come on, is he is he from Wisconsin? I think he might be. JJ Watt, yeah, hockey player. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say. Yeah, JJ he's Watt. from he's from Mosinee, Wisconsin. There you go. So there you go. Do it for Cole Caulfield, Maine. The no, thing with Maine, Maine is Maine's not big enough of a state. Maine doesn't have like a oh, Fat Troll has a really good point. What about an Alaska team? So no, this is travel, no travel, travel. This, is, the, no. No, <laughs> this no. is something that I raised no. in our in our Discord. We uh, need we need an Arctic division. So we need a team in Anchorage. We need two teams in Alaska, one team in Yellowknife, it which is in the Northwest Territories of Canada, and then one team in Dawson City, Yukon territory. So 
Genki Horiguchi is barber. Horiguchi is barber. Said uh, Chicago has historically kept Milwaukee out of the NHL. He oh. was in Milwaukee for a minute last month. The AHL team has good support. Yeah, they do have a good AHL team, the Milwaukee the Bru- Admirals. The- Oh, was it the Brewers? Yeah, the Admirals. Yeah. Uh, and saw mostly Hawks and Predators stuff because I think they're the Predators uh, affiliate. Yeah, that's true that they're so close to Illinois. But you know what? Give them their own team. Screw the Blackhawks. Yeah. I mean, there's baseball teams. Chicago has two baseball teams and Milwaukee still has a baseball team. Yeah, and Milwaukee's an NBA team. Uh, I mean, there's a football team in Wisconsin. So yeah, it's just like, what's the deal? Um yeah, give me an Arctic division. I want Anchorage. I want uh, Whitehorse. That would be. That would actually be. <laughs> I want this to no, happen. No, I'm speaking is, it no, into existence. This is so dumb. The pe- you know the millions of people living in the Arctic Circle <laughs> deserve an NHL division. God, can you imagine that travel? Like, let's say you're you're the Tampa Bay Lightning and you have to fly to Anchorage. Yeah. No. What's the flight? Hold on. I have to look this up. What is the why? Flight? Why is this something that you're on? I'm just very curious what the flight time from Tampa to uh, Anchorage is. Do you want to guess? Ten hours. It's uh ten hours and thirty seven minutes. Boom. That is a long freaking time. Yeah. You're you're still in the same country technically. I'd rather give Hawaii a team. Ooh. Well, that the travel. <laughs> just just put multiple teams on Hawaii, every island. What about Puerto Rico or the Virgin Islands? A- every island gets a team. Okay. Yeah. I I'm 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 voting for the Bahamas. I think a lot of NHL players would would vote for the Bahamas. We need an NHL team in every tax haven in how the Caribbean. How suc- how successful would a team in Hawaii be? How many players would choose to go play for the Hawaii team? <sighs> Man. I really think though that would the tra- they deal with the travel, the travel and the time difference? Would they deal with it to live in Hawaii? Because because what the difference between here and Hawaii Pacific time it's, is it's three it's three hours, hours. yeah three yeah hours. so that's six hours with the East Coast yeah I mean that's no joke no what about a team in Mexico City like, the NFL that. is thinking about this yeah or a team in Europe like like okay wanna... if if we're poo pooing Hawaii then I'm gonna poo poo <laughs> Europe. Well, I think that, okay, here's the thing. If you're going to expand the NHL, unless you're doing one of these markets we're talking about um, domestically, like Wisconsin or something, that's or Quebec City, like something that's just kind of more like traditional that has maybe a little more backstory, go aggressive and, and like a London team. or uh, Because, I mean, the NFL is thinking about doing it. The NFL might end up doing it. I mean, it's easier logistically for them, but I'm sure there's a way you could figure out having a team in Europe. I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know. Hey, get, get, getting back to your whole original point, keep it at 32. A team in Utah? No. Salt Lake City? No. Disrespect. I mean, yeah, if we're going to do this many teams, not a real duck. 60 teams, relegation, add interna- international tournaments instead of playoffs. Boom. Al- Albuquerque? There's ice in Albuquerque. You know, New Mexico doesn't have a professional sports team. Yeah, they do. Minor league baseball. That's not prof- that is uh, yes a major professional sports team. What about um? What about the Dakotas? <laughs> Give the Dakotas a team. Hey, UND. Yeah, Nodak. Yeah, I mean that's uh, I don't. Did you know that South Dakota is like a like a tax haven state? Nope, had no clue. Yeah, like there's a lot of money laundering slash weird. Like I I just I don't know how South Dakota became that. 
Everyone God. knows. Everyone knows. Um, why am I blanking on the name? Oh, Por- Portland. Portland's a good place, also. Yeah. Well, is it? Yeah. Yeah. Coastal. Yeah. Portland Trailblazers. What about Boise, Idaho? No. Por- Portland is actually Portland and Wisconsin. There's your two teams. Well, because you have the Blazers from the NBA in Portland. You have the Blazers. You all have an, a built-in also fan base with the Portland Winterhawks. You yeah. also have the Portland Timbers have an insane fan base. Yeah. Like, they come out to support their teams. What about going back to ye old Hartford, Connecticut? No. Wow. So disrespectful. Hartford is... No. It's been surpassed. Doesn't what, have what about uh, Charlotte, North Carolina? No. I mean, they have an NBA team. They have no. an NFL team. There, There's already the Hurricanes. The Hurricanes cover that. Oh, that's true. I mean, Charlotte is probably... Charlotte's bigger than Raleigh. Yeah, they're, they're, they still cover the same area. It's fine. Jacksonville? It's not, it's Jacksonville, not a big enough Florida? metropolitan area to require two teams. Jacksonville, Orlando? Why, why are we still going? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Okay, we should get out of here. You're you're welcome for the extra bit here, everyone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Give me a team in Mexico City. Okay. All right, we're going to cut it off here before this just goes completely off the rails, which it hasn't yet. Debatable. I will, I, I will maintain. If you want to help us keep this show going, there's a few really easy ways for you to do that to support us. The number one way, go to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash crash the pond. For $1 a month, you get access to our patrons-only Discord server. It's the best. It really is. You get access to a diehard community of Ducks fans uh, where you know people are chatting hockey constantly, but there's way more to talk about in there, different channels for different topics, different sports, football, basketball, wrestling, movies, pop culture, gaming. It's just a really great place to be, and it's for one freaking dollar. You could do so much worse with one dollar. Uh, than that for five dollars you get access to that and then in addition you get two bonus podcasts a month from us and we're gonna do one soon here we we, our our schedule's been a little derailed this week but we're gonna do one breaking down the trade deadline every trade Uh, so that's gonna be a lot of fun and that those podcasts are ones where we kind of talk about the rest of the nhl we also talk about the ducks and also we're a little more unfiltered so if you kind of enjoy the banter of the show I think you're going to get your money's worth uh, at our Patreon there for five bucks. Now, you can also leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. That's much appreciated. Do the same on Spotify. You can leave us a rating there. Find us on YouTube, youtube.com slash crash the pond. Subscribe, uh, turn on the notifications, like everything, comment. Just just engage. We want to we want to hear from you guys. We really love to, to hear from you guys. And then on top of that, you can also just follow us on Twitter. Uh, Jake is on Twitter at ReindeerGames91. I'm on Twitter at Felix underscore Sicard and also follow the Sporting Tribune. I think it's at the Sporting Trib or is it at Sporting Trib? I can never remember. At Sporting Trib. At Sporting Trib. And then follow our good friend Derek Lee. Uh, He's covering the Ducks and really the best Ducks beat writer in the game right now. Yep. I would say probably not even much of a much of a push there. Uh, So just search Derek Lee and, and you'll get all the good info from him. That will do it for our show tonight, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. Appreciate everyone that tuned in live. Appreciate everyone that will listen in the car, in the gym, wherever you are. How about this? You know, tweet us on Twitter. Go to go to Twitter at Crash the Pond and let us know where you're listening from. Because yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a car podcast listener. I don't know about you. I'm wherever I'm at, podcast listener. I mean, I'm either doing car... The dish- Doing the dishes, taking out trash, like all that stuff. Car has become my like mainstay as of late. 
There you go. Anyway, let us know where you're listening. We love to hear from you guys. Love you guys. Have a great week, and we will talk to you in a few days. Have a good one. Bye. Bye.